Yorkshire Risborough Rangers who are about to hopefully win the Spartan South Midlands League. So Goodness uh, me, that is that's deeper than deep. Let's start there, David Tossel, a returning visitor to the football <laughs> library. Although you've changed jobs, you're now a full-time writer. Uh, I am as of a couple of weeks' time as we're sitting here speaking right now. Yes, I've uh, two or three weeks left working for the NFL and then um, and then stepping back and as you say just sort of doing writing and playing and watching some cricket and generally uh, enjoying life. Yes, very handy that you're stepping down just in time for the cricket season. And hang well, on, Princess yeah, Riseborough. These things are carefully planned. Indeed, Princess Riseborough is that um, Suffolk. No, Princess Risborough is uh, Buckinghamshire. Ah, I knew it was on so, a road. I've seen it on a roadside. Just couldn't remember if it was east or north. Hang on, so that's, no. that is a, a quick trip down the M40 and around the M25 to get to the Arsenal. Uh, yes, yeah, that's one way to look at it, yeah. So you'll, you'll still also, be able... It's, it's, also a, it's also a three-minute trip from my house, which is even more relevant. So uh, I've been watching Rizboro Rangers in the last few weeks. And this is the Spartan League, which is, t- you said, Tier 9. So that's below yes, Evo it. Stick. So if they, if they get promoted, I have definitely got promoted, they will be in the Southern League... Central, I think. So, uh, yeah, working their way up in Tier 8 next year. You see, um, my mum's partner goes to see Lowestoft Town, who are just, they've tanked their season, they're going to go down. Uh, but I've read a couple of books, which are in the football library. David Tossel is here to talk about Hero in the Shadows, about the great Don Howe, about whom no word of criticism has been spoken. 330 pages. I think the only criticism is that he likes to defend. He likes his teams to defend which Jose Mourinho will say is a great thing. Uh, Beauty is in the eye of the beholder of the football. But we're here to weigh the honours and more honours of Don Howe. But while we're on the subject of non-league football, that's where true football lies. And do you find yourself more attracted to Princes Riseborough or to the Mikel Arteta soap opera, which is kind of two players away from a Premier League winning team? I think if you replace Lacazette and Zaka in the squad... Although apparently Zaka played well last night. I think I'm probably I'm probably that generation where I mean, you know, as much as I appreciate modern football, as far as Arsenal goes, I'm definitely not as avid as I as I was. I mean for me, everything changed when they left Highbury uh, in two thousand six. That was a place where I'd sort of, you know, grown up watching them. That was where I sort of learned to love Arsenal. And part of the club that I fell in love with no longer existed after after they left Highbury, which sounds like a very sort of old man thing to say, but I'm sure a lot of people feel the same. And so for me, you know, part of the, the final football is just deciding at the last minute I'm going to pop down the road and, and watch a local team rather than having to plan months in advance and make sure you've got the tickets and everything else. So it, it, it's more of a, a, a convenience thing. Um, at the moment, it's just nice to go and watch my my local team and support them, and sort of cheer for for Arsenal from afar. We are talking on April twenty one, the Queen's ninety sixth birthday. Um, this is the day where Radio Four always plays the national anthem before the Today program, but I didn't get up in time for that. And as we speak, Manchester United have hired a Dutch manager who will bring in. We think Robin van Persie. Yeah, um, is that is that inviting a comment from me? I, I'm, I'm not close enough to Manchester United to know whether that's a good move for them or not. But you know, certainly he comes with a, with a great reputation. I forgot how good he was at, for Arsenal. He really was. It, was it the he got you to a Champions League final, van Persie? Yes, 
I mean, it, uh, Arsenal certainly, I think, had his had his best years, um, and he was, you know, a terrific player. One of many, I think, you could probably say, one of many fantastic players that Arsenal had in their last real sort of period, where that you know they could really consider themselves to be one of the, the sort of the, the front running teams in the country, and you know, clearly has a. A great reputation at Arsenal, and there's a lot of love for him, even even though he kind of went on to to Manchester United. So, um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of Arsenal fans will be wishing him well, even if they don't necessarily wish Manchester United well. Well, we're talking just before the Frank Stapleton slash Robin Van Persie derby. Who else played for Arsenal and Man U? I can't remember. Oh, we go back a long year. I mean, the, the first player I remember playing for both was Ian Ewer. Yeah. Um, who was uh, the, uh, the the sort of big blonde Scottish centre half that Arsenal signed, who famously, you could say, helped lose them the 1969 League Cup final um, under Don Howe's coaching, but did win them quiz ball in the in the 1960s, which was uh, <laughs> for those not old enough to remember, was a a sort of general knowledge quiz where teams of footballers took on each other and Ian Ewell was the star of the uh, the Arsenal team and kind of helped them win their, it was about the only trophy they won in the 60s was the Zing. It was quiz ball so um, yeah he's, he's fondly remembered by Arsenal fans for that if nothing else and then um, then they sold him on to Manchester United uh, which he himself admits was at a time when his knees were gone and um, United had, had a bit of a bad deal on that so Arsenal got one over on United on that one well, I, I spoke to Sammy McElroy, who's got a book out, The Last Busby Babes, and he was, he's very big on Martin Bucken, who is a player that I completely missed and never gets a song. George Best got all the songs. Martin Bucken perhaps didn't. Yeah, I mean, Martin Bucken was, you could almost say, one of the prototypes of the modern defenders. You know, at a time when a lot of teams still went out and had two sort of big stoppers in the, in the centre of defence. Buckham was, was, you know, was just class. Um, you know, could play it out from the back, could quite easily have played in midfield. Had a great, great vision, great sense of what was going on around him. Great leader and a nice bloke as well. I've interviewed him a couple of times for books and um, a lovely man as well. We went through your catalogue when we were talking about All Crazy Now a few months ago. Since then, your great friend Richard Whitehead has come into the Football Library to drop off his brilliant book, Photos and Essays about the FA Cup. Do you have a copy of that book? I do. Fantastic. Yeah, Richard's done a a terrific job on that. And um, anyone listening to this who, who is interested in the FA Cup, I would urge them to to pick up a copy because it's a very different take it's not um, you know, a chronological history of the FA Cup it is using photographs that are not widely known and haven't been widely seen to sort of tell interesting sometimes quirky stories about the FA Cup and Richard's done a, a terrific job putting that together and I, I would sort of thoroughly recommend it. I really really enjoyed talking to Richard not just because he wrote obits for the Times he, he may even have written Don Howe's obituary and had put it on file um but the Peter, it was was it Peter Mason? I read the Guardian obituary of Don Howe, who is the subject of your new book. Is it what number fourteen, fifteen? Uh, it's number eighteen, actually. Eighteen, yes, very 18. good. Yeah. Norman Gill has written one hundred and twenty, but who's counting? Hero in the Shadows, yeah. about Don Howe. Um, a lot of material will have been sourced from uh, a great book that I unfortunately haven't yet read 
which is a book about Bertie Mee written by David Tossel in 2005. Did you go back to those notes and those yeah, interviews? Yeah, I mean, I was, yes, I, I did. I was lucky. I mean, I wrote a couple of books about Arsenal around that era. I, era. I wrote um, a book called 71 Guns, um, which was the sort of story of the, of the double. Um, spoke to all the squad there. Um, then, sort of as a, not necessarily a follow-up, but as a sort of spin-off from that, a few years later, wrote uh, a biography of, of Bertie Mee and was able to revisit some of that and speak to some new people. And mainly, I was very lucky that I spoke to Don Howe at length for both of those books, um, and so got you know quite a, a lot of material from him and an insight into how he helped build that great Arsenal side under Bertie Mee, uh, and spoke to an awful lot of people of, uh, about Don and his methods. Um, and so I was able to revisit some of that as well as sort of speaking to a lot of, of new people about Don. So it was actually my publisher, Pitch, who, who suggested the idea to me. I mean, it's the first time I've not written a book that's been 100% my own idea. They, they, said, they said to me that we think it would be you know, a valid project to, to do a, you know, have a biography of Don Howe. Would you be interested? And I said, well, yeah, actually, that's a good point. Um, you know, I do have a lot of material sort of sitting in my files. Um, so definitely have a head start if you like on on preparing something and so was able to to use a lot of a lot of that material i mean those arsenal players from the early 70s absolutely loved don howe you know uh, you mentioned and i'm sure we'll talk about it more that whole reputation he had as being a defensive coach or a defensive minded coach he was certainly a very good coach when it came to organizing defenses but you wouldn't find any of those arsenal players who felt that he was negative in, in his approach uh, and they had absolutely nothing but sort of love and, and admiration for him. You know, even someone like Charlie George who, who was you know not a great lover of authority shall we say. Or even defending. Um, so, indeed and certainly didn't get on with Bertie Mee. You know had a lot of time for Don Howe and some of the Arsenal players who came along a bit later someone like Alan Hudson who again you know said to me that you know, Don Howe was the only coach he ever listened to. He had he had no you know great love or admiration of any coaches because he was such a an individual talent. Um, but you know, those players, those Arsenal players, absolutely adored him. I was going to say it's a bad time of year to die at the end of the year when the papers have filed everything and they're just ticking over. But George Michael died at the end of 2016, and there was a lot of fuss the week between Christmas and New Year. But when Howe when Don Howe died on December 23, 2015, were you impressed at the coverage that newspapers gave and websites gave, given that it was Christmas Eve that they'd have to file for? And what is, what is very impressive is the breadth of people who, who came out and said what a great influence Don Howe had been on them. Um, you know, people like Brian Robson, Gary Lineker, you know, various people saying what a, what a fantastic coach he was what a great influence he'd been on them i love that you've quoted howell's law very early in the book i actually had brendan crowley into the football library very early on and yeah i, I love that I, I was fascinated coming across that i can't remember how i came across it but i was sort of scaring around on the internet as you do and, and found his website and found this thing that he came up with called howell's law which i thought was worth sort of mentioning in, in the introduction for the for the book and you know howell's law as coined by him, is that you know every footballer of the last forty years in their autobiography has to at some point mention what a fantastic coach Don Howe was. 
and you know it's it's a remark made sort of somewhat flippantly but it but it really does i think emphasize what a what a what an influence don howe had on on so many people over such a long period of time um and was so well regarded by as i said earlier people who you wouldn't necessarily think would gravitate to his kind of methods but i think if you know if a team wants you to win a game and ultimately it's what, that's what the players want to do um they know that having don howe on their side helping them strategize and plan was was obviously going to be a great advantage the measure of and this won't happen for 80 years but a measure of a good life is how many people attend a funeral whatever the weather if it's raining so much the better but the description of Don Howe's, was it cremation or funeral celebration? People were kept yeah, outside in the same way that Graham Taylor, uh, in Essex, Graham Taylor had his celebration on Watford High Street. I didn't go, but I saw pictures of people just standing there and congregating. Yeah, yeah the stories, you know, of well-known footballers and coaches sort of standing outside the, 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 the church because there was, there was no room. All of his Arsenal youth team players, who you know that was his last full-time job, would be manager of the Arsenal youth team. Uh, all kind of showed up and, and stood together. It is, it is. Yes, you're right. It is, it is a measure of, of someone's life is how they are treated and, and remembered in death. And, and certainly, if you use that as a yardstick for Don Howe's life, then you know it's it's a very impressive one because, as you say, you know the whole football community came out. I wanted to show their respects to a man who, who was, you know, enormously highly thought of throughout football. There is a, a book written by David Hartrick about England's World Cup run, I think in 86, that could be 82. And Don Howe is on the cover and I didn't recognise him. Um, but I do know the name because he does feature very highly. Him and Dave Sexton seem to be bracketed together in my mind in people who are really in the way that you have songwriters songwriters which is code for they didn't sell any records but people who nicked their ideas got very far but Don Howe is strange because the argument can be made and Henry Winter has made this argument about Steve McLaren great number two horrific number one but Don Howe did have success as a number one before we get into the number two um, what did you learn about Don Howe the manager in the research, um, I would, I would, despite being, you know, obviously a great admirer of Don Howe, I would probably argue with you about him having success as as a number one. I think that is probably one of the, you know, the big arguments against Don Howe, um, if you like, and his achievements is that he didn't really ever do it as a number one, uh, and that's why I've specifically in the sort of the subtitle to the book referred to him as being a great coach as opposed to a manager, and one of the one of the themes that is explored in the book is why he couldn't convert that success as a coach to success as manager. He was he was very uh, excited after having won the double with Arsenal in '71 to get the chance to go and manage West Brom, the, the club where he'd grown up as a player. And if this was a you know fantastic opportunity for him, he never managed to, to achieve success there in four years. They ended up getting relegated and then failing to get back into the top flight. Um, and that was one of the, you know, the big disappointments of, of his managerial career. One of the things that people at West Brom at the time have, have said that, and I think this is probably something that a lot of people are guilty of. Guilty of. Um, certainly when I wrote about Malcolm Allison, it was something he was guilty of, was that trying to 
take the template of success you've had had at one club and, and automatically assuming that you can sort of instill it somewhere else. He wanted West Brom to play in the same way that Arsenal had done. That Arsenal team had grown up as youth players, as reserve players, and then as first team players, all sort of growing together, learning the system. The, t- the team he went to at West Brom was very different. Um, they didn't necessarily respond to his methods. They had a lot of senior players there who who felt that you know, this is not the way we play. This is not the West Brom way. They didn't want to do that. They, you know, Don writes uh, direct, direct football, if you like. Um, you know, pressing up high up the field, being very tight at the back. And a lot of them didn't respond to that. They didn't respond to his, his training methods, which were you know quite sort of. Not brutal, but but certainly, um, you know, asked a lot of the players, um, and that was you know his first shot at management, and and wasn't really a success. And then similarly at Arsenal, when he took over at Arsenal from Terry Neal in in the early eighties, never really managed to kind of recreate the the success he'd had as as a coach. Again, lots of different reasons. The players didn't necessarily respond to the way that he wanted the team to play. There was a lot of off-field issues there at Arsenal at that time. And I think yeah, that's one of the things you have to deal with as a manager is, is all of that extra baggage that comes along. You know, As a coach, you can get on the training field, you can plan the strategy, and that's it. You know, Nothing else matters. You don't have to worry about disciplining players or contracts and everything else. And, and, and I think that is why some people, and Don included in that, um, are better as coaches as they are as managers. You know, he had a couple of other shots, QPR, Coventry, you know, moderate success, not great. Um, but I think, you know, he is going to be remembered as a coach as opposed to a manager. And mm-hmm. happily, he will, I think he, hopefully, he will be remembered as a successful coach rather than a, a unsuccessful manager. I wonder if there will be, because it's, football is more technical now, there is a focus on attacking coaches, set-piece coaches, defensive coaches. You could very quickly formulate a best 11 of football coaches. There's one at Liverpool called Michael Beale, Beale, who has apparently did amazing things at Liverpool uh, and then Rangers and then followed Gerrard uh, around. I imagine Eric Ten Hag is going to bring in some coaches and because of the way that United operates as a fishbowl, um, we'll hear about the coaches. Don Howe was a guy who literally wrote the book on soccer. Did you consult his handbook, which came out in 1988 and emphasised respect and professionalism? I did, yeah. It was interesting. It's always interesting when you kind of can read something like that and get a bit of an insight into uh, into what he's thinking. And yeah, you know, and just and just coming back to your, your your previous point about sort of specialist coaches. I mean, it's interesting that Terry Venables. Don Howe in as part of his England coaching team when he took over in in 94 very much as almost an American football style defensive coordinator Don Howe had been coach of England under Ron Greenwood and under Bobby Robson but had been you know just if you like the old-fashioned number two had had a bit of a say in everything Terry Venables brought him in specifically to work with the defense Terry Venables as, as I think most people know, you know, terrifically innovative coach, especially when it comes to the team going forward. And, and you know, he, he installed various different sort of flexible systems going forward. But he wanted someone who could coach the defence. And that, you know, he, he, he appreciated and, and understood and recognised that Don Howe 
was probably the best person he could get in to do that. You know, Don was 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 fantastic at working with defences, and that's why he got a reputation as being defensive-minded, which was probably unfair. But he could do things with defences that you know other people couldn't. His methods were were fantastic. I mean, players have talked to me about first of all Don's coaching sessions were always very varied and and, and you know flexible and fluid and never never boring. But when he was working with the defence, he did things like making sure that defenders had a wide vision of the whole field. They weren't ball-watching. They weren't becoming tunnel-visioned. One of the things he used to do, he did this with England, he did this with other other teams, was while the defence would be working on stuff, he would have assistants on the sideline holding up different coloured bibs, and he would suddenly shout at the defenders what colour bib is being held up, and they had to know what colour it was. The idea was that he wanted to create a habit within those players where they sort of developed a peripheral vision. They weren't just watching the ball. They saw what was going on all around them. And this system of coloured bibs was, was how he sort of tested whether they were achieving that. And, and with Venables particularly, Venables wanted a, a flexible style at the back as well as you know putting in his own flexible systems going forward. With Bobby Robson, he and Howard had sort of played a sweeper system famously in the 1990 World Cup, which had basically been three centre-backs and then the two full-backs going forward and, and providing width. Venables wanted a different kind of sweeper system that Don put in place for him, which was basically two full-backs acting as additional centre-backs alongside you know, one traditional centre-half. So, And then it was midfield players who would provide the width, would basically be the wing-backs. But Terry also wanted flexibility within that, where if they were playing a team that, that was using wingers, the full-backs could go out and become traditional full-backs again, and the central midfield player would then drop back into the, into the sort of centre-half position um, and that's where Gareth Southgate came in and, and was was so successful. Mm-hmm. Don did a lot of work with him on how to play that role. You know what in what directions he needed to lead the players he was marking, so that the centre back could pick them up and all that kind of stuff. So Terry Terry Venables definitely understood that Don Howe was the ideal person to fulfil that um, that defensive coordinator role, which you know. And that specialist kind of coaching now is, is, as you say, is becoming very commonplace. No, just because on the payroll you can afford them, certainly at the elite level, maybe not at Division 3 level, although I would love to see, maybe you should suggest this to Princess Riseborough, um, they should hire a defensive coach and an offensive coach, and that would be brilliant. That would be an amazing well, I mean, Don, idea. I mean, Don did that a little bit in uh, uh, you know, a club like Barnet you know, in the early 90s. He happened to be out of... Out of work at that time and, and Barry Fry the manager of Barnet at the time brought Don in again specifically just to work for a few weeks with the defence and you know they had a string of clean sheets to, to prove his, his value and that's the other, another, another thing about Don Howe is he, he just loved football and he didn't mind where he worked I mean while he was working with Venables at England he was working uh, with Newbury Town who were in the sort of Deodora or what's you know, the Isthmian League with it known as the Deodora League at that time, which was about, you know, tier eight or something, and he was doing a day a week with them. He just loved football. He loved coaching. He loved imparting his knowledge, loved working with players. Wasn't a football snob at all and would happily go wherever anyone wanted him. Wouldn't push himself forward, but if someone wanted him, then Don was going to be there to help them. Uh, We'll talk about his playing career shortly, but I just wanted to juxtapose two things. 
Don Howe born in 1935, pre-war, and was big on football when everyone else was in the 50s. He got a contract at West Brom. He was conscripted as well. He had to do national service. 50 years later, you write in the book, or I think one of his sons may have said, Don Howe got fed up as the kids took too much money as a young player at Arsenal when he was working with Liam Brady, who was the academy director, uh, which it was, again, a nice nod by Liam, who used to be coached by Don. Liam was now in charge of Don. Um, and Arsenal famously, as I documented from Kids to Champions, uh, won the Youth Cup back-to-back 2000 and 2001. I am now kicking myself that I didn't put the words Don and Howe in the book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, it's interesting that it was Don's son, Rob, who, who told me that, that was Don knew it was time to, to step away when the youngsters that he that he really enjoyed coaching just started to have that a little bit of that attitude um and it was partly driven by sort of you know the large amounts of money that even youth players were, were able to get um and a little bit of an attitude that you know w- we kind of know it all and it was at that point where don realized that okay maybe now is the time to sort of step back and and enjoy retirement play with the grandchildren but yeah ironic that that was what sort of ended up pushing him away from football, having gone through that period where you know players were on maximum wage and then having to break off their career and do national service, um, which obviously you know the young players that Don was was coaching then would have had no uh, knowledge of and, and certainly would have seemed like a very alien world to, to them. Um, but Don was lucky that you know he went to. He was sort of stationed close to West Bromwich, where he was connected with the, uh, as a West Bromwich Albion player. So he actually used his time in the army, um, probably to great effect, to kind of help improve his his chances of, of making it as a professional footballer. I don't think he did a lot of square bashing. I think it was mostly playing football. Jolly good, and that took him to the World Cup in 1958. Before he lost his place to the equally great Jimmy Armfield, whose talents uh, lay in coaching, but mainly in summarising. Um, although it was interesting to note that Howe was Armfield's number two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, again, those two were quite closely linked. Um, as you say, Don Howe had a long, long run as England's right back. Uh, I think it was tw- like 23 consecutive games. Um, went to the World Cup in, in 58, which was not a, a great success for England. And then lost his place to Jimmy Armfield. Was selected for the 62 World Cup finals, having been out of the... the squad for a couple of years uh, and it was interesting by then he was thinking of, of potentially a long-term career in coaching his comments when he got selected for that 62 world cup in chile were were not about necessarily excitement of being in the squad and hoping to help him win the world cup he actually said at the time this is a great chance for me to go and learn more about the game to observe and and to, to kind of take it all in he was definitely thinking ahead and as you say he ended up Working under Jimmy Armfield, having having as we said earlier, not been a success at West Brom as manager, Turkey at Galatasaray for a little while, wanted to get back into English football, and Jimmy Armfield, who had famously taken over from Brian Clough and the wreckages of his sort of forty four day spell at Leeds, asked Don to go and work with him as as number two. And interestingly, you know, he said at the time, you're right, you mentioned it, well, you know, Jimmy known as a great summariser and known as absolutely one of the real gentlemen of football. You know, Jimmy himself at the time said that Don Howe was good for him as a number two because he had a little bit more of an abrasive edge to him and would sort of offer some of 
the kind of approach to, to coaching that, that Jimmy himself, because of his personality, wasn't able to provide. So, you know, Don Howe had a, had a pretty successful year and a half at Leeds. Um, you know, he and, and Jimmy Armfield managed to stave off the sort of post-Revy decline for a certain period of time, got to an FA Cup semi-final, didn't quite make it to Wembley. And then it was only you know, the chance to return to Arsenal as, as, as number two to Terry Neal that, that sort of broke up the Arnfield-Howe partnership. How do Arsenal Football Club remember Don Howe with any kind of... Is there something at London Colney dedicated to him or a bust or something? I'm not aware that there is, to be honest. I think it's more um, he's remembered in, in people's hearts, really, uh, than anything else. I think given that his departure in 71 after they won the double ended up being sort of somewhat acrimonious and given that he wasn't a massive success as, as manager and you know if you look around on on social media when Arsenal have bad results at the moment you know you see a lot of people saying well oh, god this is as bad as the Don Howe era they mean that period when he he was manager given those things it, you know, it, it's it's a real testament to what he did achieve at Arsenal that he is so fondly remembered. You know, for, for three spells, that first spell under Bertie Mee, the second spell as coach under Terry Neal, where for a few years they played a very different kind of football to what they ever played under Bertie Mee. Um, and then the success he had, as you mentioned earlier, with Liam Brady um, coaching the youth team to two FA Youth Cups in with what was sort of still considered probably one of the strongest youth teams that Arsenal have ever produced. Yeah. Although they're doing all right now, not this year in the um in the Youth Cup, but when Paul Merson, who called Don Howe ahead of his time, said, Ah, oh, I think this could be the best Arsenal youth team for a while. We still haven't really seen Charlie Patino Patino in the first team, but I'm certainly of the opinion that Arsenal have kind of two or three years with the same group of players, Smith-Rowe, Saka, who was just unplayable uh, against Watford the other week. And I guess he played well. Did he play last night against Chelsea? Uh, he did, yeah. 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 And even yes. Eddie scored. Yeah. <laughs> that's one That's yeah. one for any club trying to buy. But yeah, I'll stop with, with Ramsdale, who might well end up in goal in Qatar uh, against the USA. How many wonderful texts did you get from your American friends that day? <laughs> Only a couple, to be honest. Only a couple. Yeah. Um, I, I was with a whole bunch of American colleagues on that famous day in 2010 when yeah. Robert Green let the ball USA in. USA wins 1-1. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, a lot of people looking forward to that. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, the couple of players coming through now. I think that was one of maybe one of the regrets of Don Howe's period as, as youth team coach at Arsenal was that, not more of those players actually went on and, and had their chance in the Arsenal first team. There was a little bit of a pointed comment that went that someone at the time asked him about those players progressing, and he sort of said, "Well, yeah, you have to ask to ask some finger about that. That's up to him." Um, and there was just a little hint of an edge there that maybe suggest he suggest, suggested that maybe he thought some of those players should have had a more of a chance earlier on. Because they had good careers. You speak to Stevie Sidwell, Rowan Ricketts, yeah. uh, Jermaine Pennant's yeah. name was mentioned. We know other things uh, disrupted yeah. Pennant's career. But but all sort of, you know, known for what they did away from Arsenal in the end. You know, that didn't go through and achieve at Arsenal what this current crop have done, what the group of players who achieved success under George Graham did, who a lot of whom were introduced to the first team by Don Howe, the likes of 
you know, Michael Thomas, Tony Adams, David Rowcastle, Niall Quinn, that, that crop of players in the late 80s that, that Don gave the break to and similarly with the, the double team in 71 you know most of them had come through the youth team as well so you know, Don had seen what a good youth team could produce for 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 you know the big club for, for the first team and, I, and maybe that was a little bit of a frustration from his point of view that the group of players he he nurtured as youth team coach didn't then go on and, and achieve as a group what he'd seen previous groups managed to do Talking of groups, Bobby Gould's number two was Don Howe. And there's a book being written. Uh, who is it? It's Gary Jordan is writing a book about the 88 FA Cup uh-huh. win because it coincides uh-huh. with the 35th anniversary. Right. I don't know if this is a foolish question or not. Was the FA Cup win with Wimbledon Don Howe's zenith? Or would you say that getting England to the semi-final of a World Cup was... Um, I think they they would certainly be you know vying for position. Certainly, Don Howe's input into Wimbledon's achievement of winning the FA Cup in nineteen eighty eight should not be underestimated, and certainly, nor should the importance of that on on his coaching resume. I mean, for anyone who can remember the Liverpool team of that season, they were you know one of the finest. Domestic teams, you know, we've ever seen. Um, John Barnes, Ken Rush, John Barnes, Peter Beersley. I mean, that there was that. Hanson Lawrenson. The, the, the game that that most people remember was when they sort of ripped a very good Nottingham Forest team apart five nil. Um, was probably their best performance for, for several years. Um, and by that time, Wimbledon always already knew they were going to be playing Liverpool in the final. Um, and Don Howe made a point, you know, that, that the next day, because everyone was talk, was buzzing at Wimbledon and saying, "Wow, did you see that?" You know, Don Howe made a point of sitting them down first of all. And this is where the preparation for that final started. He said, "Nottingham Forest are everything that we are not. They don't defend in the way that we do. They like to play football, which you know we don't, we don't worry about that. So don't worry about what Liverpool did to Nottingham Forest. They won't be able to do the same to us." that to us and over the weeks he just kind of kept hammering home that message and then what is considered his his sort of tactical masterstroke which was only put in place literally on the, on the afternoon and evening before the game was that Liverpool so much of what they did went through John Barnes on the left Wimbledon had their own excellent left winger at that time Dennis Wise so many of, the, of Wimbledon's goals came from Wise did Deliveries. I mean, you know, anyone who remembers Wimbledon at that time knows they were very direct. It was, you know, route one down the field, or it was get the ball to Wise, get a cross in, and someone get on the end of it. There wasn't a lot of sort of subtlety uh, or variation in what they did. And Don Howe was happy to sacrifice Dennis Wise and move him over to the right hand side so that he was up against John Barnes. They effectively double teamed John Barnes with a, with a fullback, Clive Goodyear, and and then Wise himself. And to negate the threat that way, and yeah, Wise played the role fantastically. Everything went perfectly. Ironically, Wise still managed to, to make the only goal of the game by putting a free kick that Laurie Sanchez headed home. So yeah, absolutely, that should be up there. And there were other little things that, that, that the Wimbledon players talk about was the fact that at half time on a very hot day, Don Howard sent the kit man back to the dressing room early to to get 
towels wrapped in ice cold water, which is something that he'd done at World Cups in Spain and and in Mexico with England. So when the Wimbledon players went back in, so having been baking during the first half, they wrapped these cold head, towels around their heads to cool down. And you know Terry Gibson, their player, said whether or not that made a specific difference, he wasn't sure, but. They had a very strong sense that Liverpool won't be, wouldn't be doing this next door, but we are. Therefore, Don must know something. This gives us an edge. And it just gave them that confidence that what they were doing was the right thing and that they had an advantage over a team that you know, had seemed to be unbeatable for the whole of, whole of, the, of that season. Yeah. And also, um, a lot of those Liverpool players will have known Don Howe from the England setup. Yeah, you know, Don knew, Don knew them, as I said, that's why he knew you know the best way to, to sort of try and combat John Barnes. Um, and he gave Wimbledon that that belief that you know, okay, we're one up. Here's how we are going to see it through to the end. This is you know, this is not a fluke. You're in the lead because you deserve it. This is what we can do to see it right through to the end. It was interesting in the commentary as Wimbledon were getting the the cup you know John Motson on BBC made the point that it was very clear what uh, you know Don Howe's input had been and when Bobby Gould did the post-game interview he made sure Don Howe was sitting there next to him and kept referring to him as the master and you know the, the, those two worked very well together um, Bobby let Don do do the coaching Bobby did the managing and the scouting and everything else um, and it, and it you know, really was a, a successful another successful partnership. There is a book in the football library that's just been added today, 24 Carat Gould. 24 Carat Gould. Mm. Is that in your football library? I know you've got tons of football books in your office. It is. Yeah, it is. I do have that, that one. Um, and, you know, I was able to refer to that. And then, as I said, also speak at some length to Bobby Gould about um, their partnership at Wimbledon. And it was, you know, they, those two go back a long way. I mean, Don Howe was was at Arsenal when Bobby Gould signed as a player, and it was actually Don Howe who made it very clear to Bobby Gould that he didn't really rate him as a player and, and wanted him out. Don uh, Don then went and made Bobby Gould his first signing, as uh, pretty much as uh, when he was West Brom manager, which surprised Bobby Gould. Uh, and I, I said to Bobby, you know, because obviously they became very close, I said to Bobby, you know, when did you feel that your relationship moved from being sort of purely professional to being friends and he said I can name the exact date it was the date when uh, when Don Howe sold me from West Brom to Bristol City and that was another three and a half thousand pounds in my pension fund <laughs> so yeah he, and, and I think he was he was as much as he loved Don and he loved, as much as he saw what Don could bring to a team as a coach I don't think he, he actually enjoyed playing for him very much I think that was twice he'd been sort of quite relieved to get out of uh, of Don the Shadow as, as as a player, but you know having him on his side when it came to coaching, you know Bobby was was up for that. I mean when Don was out of work after Arsenal, um, it was Bobby Gould who rang him up while he was manager at Bristol Rovers and said, "Do you fancy coming doing a few weeks?" And Don said, "Yeah, I'm not doing anything else. I'll do it." And and Bobby Gould said it was it was like asking Miss World for a dance and her turning around and saying yes. So. <laughs> Um, Hero in the Shadows is David Tussle's 18th book about Don Howe. Is number 19 in the works? It is, it is, yes. Um, but I'm not sure you'll be talking to me about it 
Johnny, because I'm, I'm now working on a couple of cricket projects. It's been a been a while since I did a cricket book, so I've got a couple of cricket projects on the go uh, before I head back to football. So unless you're opening a, a, a podcast called the, the Cricket Library in the next couple of years, it might be another couple of years before we speak again. Don't speak so soon, but the music library is open for business at the moment. I'm talking to 78 music writers uh, this in the next year and trying to open a music library because, as I was saying off air beforehand, I'm taking a sabbatical from top-tier football. Because over the course of this season, I've been listening to less football and consuming less. I mean, I still read Henry Winter. I still read what Barney Ronne and Johnny Lou and... Sundry at Daniel Story have to say. I still read David Squires' cartoons, but the rough and tumble of soccer, it's just not doing it for me. Maybe I'm getting older, but reading this book, Hero in the Shadows, revitalised me. I've got one final question, and it, it compares uh, a modern coach to Don Howe. Looking at how he was lampooned as the defensive coach... It reminded me of the treatment of Sam Allardyce by the media. And I wonder if Dingle Sam, as West Brom fans call him, has the same criticism levelled at him because of his accent that the black country boy from Wolverhampton, Don Howe, had. Do you think it was classist, the media reception? Or not classist, kind of London Metropolitan because the people writing on the paper, some of them would have been from the North as well. But just the media reception, it also seems to echo that of Bobby Robson. Yeah, I don't think it was, to be honest. I mean, Don was a very proud son of the black country. So much of his coaching career was in, was in London. I think he was almost considered to be part of you know, London scene anyway, if you like, from a professional coaching point of view. I didn't get the impression going back through archives and looking at criticism of, of, of his methods that there was any of any sort of geographical bias. A lot of the comments that were sort of anti-Don Howe, if you like, and, and critical of it, the people who would probably have the least fond memories of Don as a coach or manager are the West Brom fans who you know, loved him as a player. You know, they, they, they absolutely hated the Don Howe period of when he was a manager, not just because he didn't achieve anything, but they didn't like the way that West Brom team played football at that time. They felt it was it was too defensive. It was t- too sort of turgid. And their thought was that if we're going to go down, let's go down with you know, a bit of Elan and a, a bit of style and, and let's play attacking football in the way that we always have done. You know, the Don Howe side that he played in at West Brom was you know was was quite an innovative team. They played with a sort of withdrawn centre forward in the style of the Hungarian played some great football so I think you know as I said some of the most critical people of Don Howe's methods would have been those West Brom fans so so clearly there you know, it's not a, a geographical bias I think it is just one of those things that that sticks with people who are very good comes with a label on I mean he wasn't one of these coaches that was who thought the best way to win a game was if, if one team scores three, we're going to score four. He, you know, his thought was you start from a solid base. Um, but that wasn't to say he didn't like attacking football. I think you know, and anyone who was able to accommodate the likes of Charlie George and Alan Hudson and and, and people like that, and you know, Paul Gascoigne in England in their team certainly couldn't be accused of not liking attacking football. Just he had a way that he felt the game could be most successfully tackled in terms of achieving results and and that sort of started from a a solid base yeah and if any young coaches are interested in how to get the best out of a group of men 
the man whom you, David Tussle, call the alchemist, uh, is the hero in the shadows. The biography is out now. Can you just confirm that it's the first book about Don Howe exclusively? Uh, it is, yes, as far as I'm concerned. And, he, and you know, Don was, was a very modest man himself. I mean, I'm sure he had plenty of opportunities to, to write his own autobiography. I think the only, you know, the only book he's ever really done were those sort of, you know, the coaching style books that you referenced early. And, you know, his career winds a path through so much of English football in the last 40, 50 years, um, both as a player and a coach at domestic and international level. Um, you know, as we said, worked for the England team for sort of a decade and a half under three different managers, getting to semi-finals, going through unbeaten through World Cup finals, losing to Argentina with the hand of God game and everything. So much of his career helps tell the story of an English football era and, and its progress over a long period of time. But it felt like a you know a great subject to tackle and, as you say, not one that had been done before. So uh, hopefully people will enjoy it and, and you know, learn a little bit, not just about Don, but also you know the development of, of English football over a period of time. And the most important question of all, this is a man who had four sons who are upholding the surname. None of them are not called Hal these days. Uh, how did the four boys view the finished manuscript? <laughs> Honestly, I, uh, I haven't had a, a response or, or, or necessarily any feedback so far, so which I think, or which I'm assuming is good. No news They've is good news. No one has sort of contacted me and said, what on earth were you doing? What were you thinking about? So hopefully... You know, I think it's a book that I don't set out to write these books as tributes in, in, as such. You know, I, I want them to be honest stories about these people looking at their successes. And in, in Don Howe's case, in a lot of areas where he wasn't as successful, I want the, sort of, you know, the ledger to be balanced between the good and the bad. And the ledger will fall where it, where it will. And in, in Don Howe's case, I think, you know, it is definitely more in the positive side. Um so hopefully it's a book that people who either knew Don or are fans of him or admire him will be able to read and you know acknowledge that he has done some great stuff in in his life in football without it being uh, a sort of too one-eyed and just being a, a, a sort of hagiography if you like and just sort of you know glowing tribute to Don. If that is how it comes across, then that is because that is just. The, the way that people regard him um, and his achievements as opposed to a deliberate attempt to you know, write a glowing tribute. Just like a library, just like a-